reading Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. Now Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush is not burned. When the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. Then he said, do not come near. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place on which you are standing is holy ground. And he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppress them. Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? He said, But I will be with you, and this shall be the sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Then Moses said to God, If I come to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say this to the people of Israel, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob has appeared to me, saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt, and I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. And they will listen to your voice, and you and the elders of Israel shall go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. And now please let us go a three days journey into the wilderness, that we may sacrifice to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless compelled by a mighty hand. So I will stretch out my hand and strike Egypt with all the wonders that I will do in it. After that, he will let you go. And I will give this people favor in the sight of the Egyptians. And when you go, you shall not go empty. But each woman shall ask of her neighbor and any woman who lives in her house for silver and gold jewelry and for clothing. You shall put them on your sons and on your daughters. So you shall plunder the Egyptians. Thanks, Anne. Let's pray. Lord, we need your power this morning. We need your spirit to be working in us and through us. I just pray that you would help us to help us to understand your word. Help us to believe it. Give us the power to obey it. 
And I pray that we would encourage each other with these things that we're going to learn today, this morning. You pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this is the, the third week. Yeah, right? Third week in our series on Exodus. Third week that we've been in Exodus. And really, Exodus is the story of God rescuing his people out of Egypt into the promised land, leading them towards the, the promised land. And I, I want to ask a question that I want us all to be thinking about as we dive into Exodus 3 and 4 this morning. And that question is, what is your view of God? How do you think about God? Like, when you think about God, when you imagine yourself singing, do you imagine God hearing? When you are praying, do you ever imagine God hearing your your prayers? And if you do, what is God like? What do you think of? I mean, do you you bring up an image that you've seen from a movie about Jesus or or maybe like a flannel graph picture from from way back in the day? Those of us that are old enough for the flannel graph. Um, What is it that comes to your mind when you think about, about God? And I want to tell you a story about about me, and I think the story illustrates that, you know, very often we, so, you know, if you grew up in church like I did, you kind of know the right answers about who God is, and you say, okay, what's God like? Well, God's loving, God's powerful, God's eternal, all this type of stuff, but then when the rubber really meets the road, in kind of some of these moments, like what Scott was talking about earlier, when our marriage is going through a trial or we're having um, a health issue in the family or whatever the case may be, when, when, when it really gets down to it, when the temperature gets turned up in our life, sometimes we act in a way and feel in a way and think in a way or talk in a way that shows that actually in our heart, we might not necessarily in the deepest parts of our heart believe that God is the way we would say he is if somebody says, hey, can you write down three bullet points about what God is like? Does that make sense? So I want to tell you a story about me. When I was, um, when I was let's see, about 24, I was, I was in China at the time, and Lindsay and I had, we just started, we just started dating. And we were, I was just completely in love with her, you know, just had that, just all of the, you know, you can't stop thinking about this person, just want to be with them all the time. At the time, we lived in different cities, and I was just so excited, and, you know, it looked like it was heading towards marriage. And I I remember very vividly that in the midst of that joy and that just, you know, that excitement that's really like any other excitement, um, I, I just had this kind of, I had this fear. For some reason in my heart, I had this fear that God was going, that, some, that God was going to take her away from me. That, that somehow, you know, this is a good thing. It's going really well. It, I'm really enjoying this relationship. Seems like a good thing. But somehow, you know, if I'm not kind of at the top of my game, you know, I better really make sure that my quiet times are dialed in, that my prayer life is dialed in, you know, that I'm tithing, you know, to the, the decimal point or, or whatever, because if I don't have all of my ducks in a row spiritually, then God's going to take 
God's going to take this away from me. Has anybody else ever felt that way before, that when something good is happening in your life, you're worried God's going to take it away from you? Anybody? Maybe? Well, where does that come from? Because again, if you'd asked me, okay, does God like to give good blessings to his kids? Well, yeah, of course he does. Does God like to just, just wait until you're getting excited and then pull the rug out from under you? Well, no, he doesn't. I would have been able to tell you that. But in my heart, when the temperature was being turned up, kind of what was coming out of me, the feelings and the beliefs that were coming out of me were different than my, my theology. And, you know, so I think for all of us, our view of God, we might like to think that our view of God is shaped by the Bible, you know, just the Bible. But the truth is that all of us have things in our lives that shape the way we view God, right? And for, so from, probably for all of us, I'd say definitely for all of us, that maybe the most powerful factor in this is our parents, that growing up, the relationship we have with our parents, particularly the relationship we have with our father, has a huge influence on the way we're going to see God, right? So, for example, if you have a father, if you have a father who has a really short temper, who, who has angry outbursts, who, who's abusive, well, then you're probably going to, you're, when you think about God, you know, you're going to intuitively think, that God is also this angry, you know, out of control, you know, don't make him mad or he's going he's gonna to let you have it type of God, and you're going to be scared of him, right? If you have a father, if you grew up with a father who was, you know, maybe he wasn't super angry, but he was never there, either, either physically, you know, never, never around the family, or, or maybe just emotionally unavailable, well, you're very likely going to feel in your heart and believe in your mind that God is distant, Okay, God, you know, he might pay the bills, but, you know, you know, I can't come to him with my problems. He doesn't want to get that involved. Okay? You know, maybe, I think in addition to our parents' culture, the, the movies we watch, the books we read, the TV shows we watch, all of these things contribute to the way that we actually view God. And, you know, if we take our cues from, from media around us, you know, we, we very likely think that, God's never going to tell me that I'm wrong. That, that whatever I feel like doing, God's going to say, well, great, you should go do that. God would never tell me that I'm wrong. Okay, he's always going to encourage me to do what I want to do, what I think is going to make me happy, right? And so it's interesting as we're thinking about Exodus, because you're probably wondering, what does this have to do with Exodus? <laughs> um, as we think about Exodus, the, the people of Israel, so well, let me say it like this. If you were to draw like a timeline of, of the Bible, and if you were going to make a mark every time that a, human being had, that a human being meets with God or talks with God, okay, as you go throughout Genesis, every once in a while you're going to have a, a mark, right? Every once in a while, you know, God appears to, to Abraham, and Think about this. Sometimes, you know, God appears to Abraham. He promises him certain things, says, I'll be with you. And then, like, 15 or 20 years go by. And they don't have the Bible. They don't have a church. They just have God appeared to me 15, 20 years ago. 
So you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, and you've got Jacob, and you've got Joseph. You know, every once in a while, a few times, a handful of times, maybe three, four-ish times in these people's lives, they have a point where God appears to them and he speaks to them. But, and also, like I said, they don't have the Bible. So they, they don't have a lot of reference points about who God is. And on top of that, they spent the past 400 years, at this point in our story in Exodus, when they're slaves, they spent the past 400 years in, in Egypt. And what is there a lot of in Egypt? There's a lot of sand, like Laird said. He didn't think I could hear that. There's a lot of sand in Egypt. Um, there's, there's a lot of idolatry in addition to sand. I'm not sure if they, they might have worshipped the sand. Maybe they did, but there's a lot of idolatry. They had a sun god, and they have a river god, and they have a fertility god, and they have a war god, and they have a, a, a god for this and a god for that. And so the, the Israelites, very similar to us, you know, they might have heard about the God of their fathers, but their view of God is very much shaped by the culture that's around them. So let me give you an example. When the Israelites, after they get out of Egypt and they are on Mount Sinai, they're at the foot of Mount Sinai, and God tells them, he says, you know, don't make a what? Don't make a, an idol. Don't make any image. Don't make any graven image to, to bow down to. And then Moses goes up to the top of the mountain and then he gets the Ten, Ten Commandments, comes back down. And, and what are they doing? They're immediately, the, as soon as they get a chance, you know, as soon as you know, they get out of Moses' sight, first chance they have, they're making this statue of a cow and they're bowing down to it and they're worshiping it. Now, why in the heck did they do that? Where in the, and we, we hear that and we think, man, how stupid could you be? It's a cow that you made and you're worshiping it. Like, that's ridiculous. But you know what they have, like I just said, you know what they have a lot of in Egypt? They have a lot of idols. They have a lot of gods. And each god would have their own statue. And you know what one of their gods was? They had a god that was represented by a bull. So maybe that's where they got the idea. And I think very often we're like the Israelites that we, without knowing it, our view of God is very much shaped by the culture around us, the religion around us, and, and stuff like that. So as we go throughout Exodus, really what we're going to be seeing, I think this is really perfect for us as we think about our view of God being shaped by our parents, being shaped by culture around us, trying to restore our view of God to a biblical view. This is really a perfect book to be looking at because Exodus is the story of God taking the Israelites step by step and, and trying to correct their view of God. And he's, he's, he's showing them over and over again, I'm not like this and I am like this. I'm not like this and I am like this. And so as we're going throughout Exodus, there, there's two questions as we're trying to think about who is God really? Not just who do I feel like God is or who do I think God is. Who is God really? There's two questions we're going to ask. Number one, what does God say? What does God say? And number two, what does God do? What is God saying and what is God doing? 
And the more we observe and the more we think about and the more we look at what is God saying and what is he doing, I think the more we're going to see from these things who God actually is, not just who we've come to think of him as. And what we're going to see today, as we're looking at um, Exodus 3 and 4, we're going to see that God is a God who desires a relationship with humanity. God is a God who desires a relationship with, with humanity. Okay, so let's look. Uh, if you have a Bible, um, open it up to Exodus 3. So Exodus 3, so God is a God who wants a relationship with humanity. So what type of relationship does God want? And again, let's think about this because for many of us in America, we hear, well, God wants a relationship, and we think, well, of course he does. It, it's not about religion. It's about a relationship. That's kind of, a, that's kind of a, a catchphrase that we have. But that is not at all something that we can take for granted. God didn't have to want a relationship with us. He could have said, you know, I've got my thing going on in heaven. You know, I'll let you guys do your thing down on earth. You know, we don't, why do we need to know each other? He doesn't have to desire a relationship with us, but he does. Well, what type of relationship does he want with us? Well, first, the first thing we're going to see in Exodus 3 is that God desires to partner with humanity. God desires to partner with humanity. So we saw at the end of Exodus 2 that God has seen the affliction. He's seen the suffering of his people in Egypt. He's heard their prayers, and he's decided he's going to, to rescue them. He's going to save them right? So what would you expect, what would you expect God to do next? If you were God, this is not a, not a very good thing to think very often, but, but just, just for this once, if you, if you were God and you, and you're all powerful and you see your people that are enslaved and you want to rescue them, what would you, what would you do next? Well, maybe you would, you know, you could just like, you could just snap your fingers, all the Egyptians drop dead. And then there's this, you know, there's this, this neon sign. You know, neon hasn't been invented. It doesn't matter. I'm God. I can do whatever I want. There's a neon sign that says, go this way. And then you just follow the arrows. And then you, I mean, why couldn't you just do that? Right? That, that's the type of thing that we might think of. The, okay, I want to save these people. I can do it. I'm just going to do it myself. But what does God do? He, he, he talks, he has, he has a conversation with Moses. He, come, he comes down and he talks to Moses. So Moses is minding his own business. He's just herding his sheep, looking for a place for them to graze. He sees this this bush that's on fire, but it's not burning up. He's like, what in the world is this? He comes to, he, 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 he turns aside to see, and the bush starts talking to him, right? So, and God is talking to him out of, out of the bush. And so let's look at verses 7 through 10, Exodus 3, 7 through 10. So uh, God tells him, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Um, and then in verse 7, he says, I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their, their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their suffering, and I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land, out 
of that land to a good and broad land, a land that is flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the, Amor- the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. So far, so good, right? This is exactly the way I would do it. Like, I've seen it. I'm going to do it. Here we go. And so if you're Moses, you're thinking, well, why are you telling me about this? And then verse 9, he says, And behold, the cry of the people of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. All right, and in verse 10, Come, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, and then Moses says the exact same thing that we would all be thinking in that moment in verse 11. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? But then God says in verse 12, he says, but I will be with you and this will be a sign for you that I have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God on this mountain. Okay, so God wants to partner with humanity. He doesn't just want us to be his his slaves. He doesn't, we're not his pets that, you know, he keeps us in a, in a box and just kind of looks at us and like, oh, they're, they look kind of cute, whatever. No, he wants to partner with us and work alongside of us. Um, and if we think about it, this has been the way that God has been. This, honestly, if, if we were going, to, if God, if, if, you, if we were like God's consultants, again, this is just, you know, hypothetically speaking, obviously, if we were God's consultants and he was like, Life has been pretty stressful. Not that he would say this, but if he did, life has been stressful. What can I do to have less drama in my life? It's a very easy answer. You say, you stop trying to partner with the humans. <laughs> stop trying to work with the humans. Every time you try to partner with the humans, they screw it up. And, and, it, and, and then, you know, we have to go through this whole thing where you fire from heaven and then the boat and then all, you know, all these different things. It, it just adds so much drama. Because from the very beginning, it's really the same thing. God, he creates the whole world. And what do we expect God to do? He's created the world. Now, what's the natural next step? Well, he's, of course, he's going to come down and he's going to, to rule his creation. But that's not what he does. He says he makes man and woman in his image and, so, and then gives his creation to them, to us, and tells them to rule it for him. So there's something about God, there's something in the heart of God that he wants to partner with humanity to rule his creation and to fulfill his purposes. And that was true in the Garden of Eden, that was true rescuing his people from, from Egypt, and that's true today too. Okay, so that's the first thing he wants to part, God wants to partner with us, okay? Number two, God wants to be with us. God wants to be with us. Did you see God's response when Moses says, no way, God, who am I that that I could possibly do this? Remember, this is the most powerful empire in the world at that time, you know, at the height of their power, okay, sure, I'll walk up there with my shepherd's staff and say, let God's people go. Mm. Otherwise, I'll, I'll hook you with my staff. I, don't, I mean, like, if you're Moses, what, what are you thinking? It's got to sound crazy, right? And, and God says, well, it's okay. Well, why is it going to be okay? Well, you go do this, but what? I will be with you. And then later, when 
and it's so interesting. We said before, God wants a relationship. Basically, what's happening in Exodus 3 and 4, he's, he's like, he's arguing with Moses. He's like having one of these like couples arguments about, well, yeah, like, I, go take the trash out. I don't want to take the trash out, but it's, you, you need to take the trash out, but I don't want to, but I'm, t- I'm tired. Take the trash. There's this back and forth. It's just such a, a like a, a personal relationship here that God is allowing this back and forth with Moses. And he says, I will be with you. And, and later on, on in this conversation, Moses keeps bringing up excuses, and, and God says, Moses says, well, you know, I, I, I'm not a good speaker. And God says, it's okay, I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with your mouth. I'll be with your hands. I'll be with your feet. I'll be with you in everything that you're, that you're doing. I want you to do this with me, but it's okay because I will be with you. And secondly, you know, it's what I was saying at the beginning to open up our service, that God, it's not just, so <laughs> this is a funny way to say it, but God is not like Batman, all right? God is not like Batman. You ever watch Batman, you know, the movie or TV show or read the comic book or something? You know, what does Batman do? Does Batman save people? Yeah, he saves people. He, he, he shows up, you know, he swoops in, he saves you, and, you know, he rescues you, he brings you back to somewhere safe, and then he leaves, right? He's, he's in, and then he's out, and his face is covered, and, you know, you, you, he, he disguises his voice in this really weird way, and um, he never tells you his name, and it's a whole secret thing that you're like, wow, did that really just happen? You know, who was that guy? God is not like Batman. God is, he saves his people, he works with his people to save his people, not just so that they can be safe, but so that they can be with him. So he says, I'm going to take, I want you to take my people out of Egypt, and then this will be a sign that we'll, we'll meet back here on this mountain, and, you, and they can worship me on this mountain. He wants to be with his, his people. And so he wants to partner with us. He wants to be with us. And thirdly, he wants us to know him. He wants us to know him. So I think it's interesting. And again, we talked about this kind of, this very personal, um, almost kind of humorous conversation that here you have this, you know, shepherd, you know, nobody from nowhere who, who's arguing with God. And God, you know, God doesn't squash him. He, he's, he's having this back and forth banter with Moses. He's listening to him and he's responding and having this conversation but I think it's so interesting that God calls Moses by name. You know, he's walking by this bush, and I mean, you know, if a bush starts talking to you, you're going to listen, right? Regardless of if that bush happened to address you by name. But God addresses him by name. He says, Moses, Moses. He knows, he knows Moses by name. And then he tells Moses his name. He knows Moses by name, and then he tells Moses what his name is. So let's look at 13 through 15. So he says, you know, I, I want you to go. Don't worry, I'll be with you. And then after you bring him out, um, you will worship me slash serve me slash sacrifice to me uh, on, on this mountain. And then verse 13, it says, Then Moses said to God, and this is such a telling question. Then Moses said to God, if I come to the people of Israel and, and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you 
And they ask me, what is his name? Well, what should I tell them? And again, this is just a reminder. It's been a long time since these people have heard from God. And, you know, they might have some stories or traditions, but they don't have the Bible. To the extent to which if somebody shows up and says, well, I have a message from God, they're kind of like, well, which God? One of these gods? The, the bull God? The sun? Which God? Oh, well, it's, it's the, the God of your fathers. Well, well who is he? Well, what was his name again? Hmm. Who is he? And this is what God says. So if they come to you, if they, if, they, if they say to me, you know, what is his name? What should I say? And then verse 14, God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. Okay, now at first this just sounds like really bad grammar, right? I, I am that I, it sounds like God's either dodging the question or, you know, he doesn't have very good, uh, good verb conjugation or, or something. But, but ba- so th- what's happening here is that God is, is telling Moses his name. And, and the, the word that God uses here, it's, it's, a, it's a play on the Hebrew word for, for to exist or, or to be. So when this is translated... I am that I am. God is saying, this is my name. You can call me the one who exists. I am that I am. I will be who I will be. And what this word tells us too is that God is, well, where did God come from? God didn't come from anywhere. God just is. Well, when did God come to be? God, God didn't ever start existing. God just is. He is that he is. Well, how long is God going to be here? Well, God is always here. He just is. You don't have to go and find God. You don't have to create God. You don't God doesn't start being, he doesn't stop being, he doesn't change, he just is. God is the self-existing one. Because it's really interesting, when you look at the difference between, when you look at the difference between the Egyptian gods and a lot of the other pagan gods and then the God of the Israelites, one thing that stands out and this, including, you know, if you look back at other creation stories, because you know, there are, in, in ancient Near Eastern, Eastern cultures, there are other stories or myths about how the world came into, into being. And, you know, sometimes you have a god who's creating this or creating that, but those gods, they're almost kind of like Marvel superheroes, right? It's like they're, they're kind of like bigger, smarter, power, more powerful versions of us. But, but God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of the Bible, he is the one who created everything, but he himself is not created. And that's the most important thing. That's the first thing we need to know about God. I, I love that in the, the catechism questions, you know, when the question, well, what is God? I'm going through this with the, with the, the kids. What is God? 
Well, God is the creator of everything and everyone. It basically, what this is telling us is that there's, there's two categories of things in the universe. Okay? There's two types of things. There's God, and then there's not God. There's the creator, and then there's the creation. And there's a lot of variety in the creation. You know, you've got ants, and you've got, uh, you've got water, and you've got uh, people, and you've got animals. But, but when it comes right down to it, you know, God uses this word holy. The word holy, he says to Moses, you know, take off your shoes because you're on holy ground. Holy means different or set apart, right? So, so God is in a category all by himself. Okay, there's the creator and then there's the creation. Okay, God is the one who exists just because he exists, but nobody created him, all right? And this is the word, so the word I am, when he says I am, the I am has, has sent me, uh, tell them that I am has sent you. The, the, the way this is, is translated, the Hebrew word, this is the, the name for God, Yahweh. And it's kind of like the, the word Yahweh in the Bible, it's almost kind of like if I was going to introduce myself or if somebody was going to describe me, you, know, you could say, okay, that guy over there, he's, he's really tall. Oh, he's the tall guy, all right? That's one way to, to, to describe me. You could say, oh, well, he's, he's, a, he's a father. He's a father of three daughters, okay? That's another way to describe me. You could say, well, he's a, he's a pastor at Northwest Community Church. Like, yeah, and those things are all accurate. But if, you really, if I really want somebody to know me, how am I going to introduce myself? I'm going to tell somebody not just something that I do or a role that I have. I'm going to tell them my personal name. I'm going to say, hey, nice to meet you. My name's Ryan. And basically, the name Yahweh here, when God says, you know, when God reveals his name Yahweh to Moses, what he's doing, he's, this is kind of like, you know, before he was, he was the God, who, um, the, the God who, who promised to bless Abraham, you know, he was the God who gave them Isaac. He was the God who brought his people um, safely out of the famine into Egypt. He was known by the things that he had done. But this is kind of like if I was really wanting to get to know somebody, I said, hey, my name is Ryan. Nice to meet you. When God's saying, my name is Yahweh, that's what he's doing. He's giving us his personal name. And so we can know that God, he just exists. He just is. We don't have to worry that he's going to be kind to us one day and angry at, at us the next day. He, he, he is always with us. He is always loving. He is always wise. He is always kind. And so God gives Moses this, this task to, to go and, and proclaim this message to, to Pharaoh and to bring the people out of Egypt. And he tells them, okay, you know, Pharaoh's, he's not going to listen, but don't worry, I'm going to show up and, and, and do these powerful things to prove to everybody who I am. And then Pharaoh's eventually going to listen, and then I'm going to bring you out of, out of Egypt back here. And then you get Moses given some more excuses. And so God, God gives him, God promises he'll be with him. And then God gives him the ability to perform different signs 
Uh, he, he can throw his, his staff on the ground. And these are all things when he comes before, before Pharaoh and, and he's talking with Pharaoh to kind of prove that he is sent by God. He can throw his staff on the ground. It becomes a snake. That's kind of cool. Uh, he can put his hand inside his cloak and bring it out and it will be white with leprosy. Then he puts it back in and then brings it back out and then it's clean. And these are all, you know, let's not get too caught up on it. These are all different ways that God had given Moses to, to show that he was sent by God, to show that he had power from God when he was before Pharaoh. Um, and, and, and at the very end of chapter four, Moses is fine. He's resisting and resisting and resisting. And finally he says, oh God, I can't think of any more excuses, but just please send somebody else. And that's when God, he says, okay, well, I'll allow your brother Aaron to, to meet you, and then you, can, you guys can partner in this thing together. And that's where, chapter four, that's where chapter four ends us. And then starting next week, we'll pick up on when Moses and Aaron, when they go back to Egypt, and they, start, they, they, they talk to the people, and they talk to Pharaoh. We're going to see how that goes. And what happens is God is with them, and as God is, is working through them. But I want to say, just as we close here, you know, um, I started this off by saying that God wants a relationship with you. God wants a relationship with us. Because we just talked about, you know, God is, God is Yahweh. He is the great I am. He is the one who just is. He never changes. He's the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And that includes the fact that God wants a relationship with his people that God wants to partner with his people. God wants to be with his people. That's every bit as much true today as it was about 3,500 years ago when this was happening. But the way, that we, the way that we can have a relationship with God, it's not by just kind of wandering throughout our lives and hoping that we're going to have some type of, you know, like a quote-unquote burning bush moment where God's just going to appear to us and talk to us. No, that's not the way, that's not the way that we can have a relationship with God today. Today, we can have a relationship with God through, through Jesus. Because again, we said that from the very beginning, God has been wanting to part, he's just been almost, it, it almost seems crazy that he just will not give up trying again and again and again to partner with humanity to accomplish his, his purposes. And finally, you know, um, you know, Adam screws up, Moses ultimately screws up, David, you know, going pretty well, man after God's own heart, he ends up screwing up. There's nobody can be kind of the linchpin, the, the focal point, the connection point between God and humanity. And so does God give up? No, what does he do? He comes himself as a man. And now he himself is the connection between God and humanity so we can partner with him as we were designed to do. And it's really interesting in John, um, this is the last thing and then we'll close. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking with some of the Pharisees and um, he, he, he makes, he's, he's talking some really big talk and he, he says to the Pharisees, he says, because um, they're really big fans of Abraham, right? They're going back before, before Moses, before, you know, Joseph, before Jacob, before Isaac, all the way back to the, the father, you know, the, the founding father of the faith, Abraham. 
and they love Abraham. And, and Jesus says to him, he says, I tell you that your father Abraham, he rejoiced. He, he rejoiced to see my day. He looked forward to me coming. And they're like, what? You're, dude, you're like, you're like 30 years old. You've never even seen Abraham, which is, you know, of course, you never even seen Abraham. Are you, you mean to tell us that you're older than Abraham? And then Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Before Abraham was, I am. And when he says this word, I am, it's the same way that they're saying God is the self-existing one. God is Yahweh. God is the great I am. And it's through Jesus, by serving Jesus, by being with Jesus, that we can partner with God, that we can be with God, that we can know God in a personal way today. Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you for not giving up on us. Thank you for hearing us. And God, I pray that you would show us who you are. I pray that gradually, as we spend more and more time in your word, would you correct the misunderstandings that we have of you through culture, through our family of origin, and help us to see who you really are. And God, I just pray for our church, as we know that you want to partner with us to make disciples of all nations. God, we, I feel kind of like Moses. Who, who are we that we would be able to do that? God, we need you to be with us. We need you to be with our mouths. We need you to be with our, with our wives, with our marriages, with our families, with every part of our lives, God. And we trust that you will through the power of your spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.